first stop, South Australian Takeover Show, picked up by Jim Gifford this morning, got to escape, been sleeping on a uh, children's bunk bed for a couple of days. So this interview could be interesting. <laughs> I'm still waking up, but that's always a good start. First stop, Don's Place. Amazing collection of stuff here. Beautiful, beautiful themed. What area is this specifically that we're looking at here? It's based on Adelaide to Tailand Bend. Definitely. Uh, up, Definitely. So um, up over the hills, which in principle is the the, um, the spiral, but we don't show any of that. Yes. Um, but the, the theory is it's a continuous layout, but it's operated point to point. Um, storage area here and there, so... That, in principle, is what we'll call, yes. in simple terms, Adelaide. This is Tail and Bend, and the little station at Tail and Bend, which right. had a big one. Right. So, again, probably to describe, there's an upper deck, which is, which is scenic beautifully for South Australia around Adelaide. Yep. Perfectly done. Amazing combination of bush and vegetation, and the background scenery is just beautiful as well. So, put together very nicely. Mm, what is it? It's a single track, single kind of track. curving round. There's actually the beautiful um, kind of hinting that you know there might be another track going in or something like that. There's a kind of no, light. That's, that's the roadway for roadway. The yes, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So track. roadway that incident. And below you have set up a yard basically containing two directions worth of, right, yes. of, of traffic. Now you were saying just as we came in, you've got a bunch of everything here. Yes. But when you run it, you like to run it so it's prototypical the to what you're running. The prototypical yeah. for what it's meant to be. So you've got some US stuff here. If you do US modern, you have US modern related stuff. Um, you have some Australian stuff from the 1960s. Um, you said you had some British stuff as well. Yes, not out on the lap. Not out on the lap. No, <laughs> but, no, but, no but I've got some, got some British right. that, I, that I like to run periodically. Right. And when you have operations here, you've got obviously someone doing the yard, and there are more industries and stuff further around? Yeah, basically, it runs from here, double track around to the other side. Right. Uh, over here, which represents Adelaide to Belair. Yes. But then it goes into single track to yes. Murray Bridge, hence <laughs> Tail and Bend. So all the rest is single track. Um, so out of what we'll, we'll call it Adelaide for the yep. sake of the exercise, out of there on the double track, then we go up the helix. Oh, yes. Come into a station there, which is... In principle, based on Nan in the Adelaide Hills, <laughs> then you run down into the main station, which is very closely based on Murray Bridge, as it used to be. Oh, yes. Um, over the, the bridge, mm -hmm. which that's been changed, but in principle it's the same. Around a little siding between Murray Bridge and Tail and Bend. Right. Then we go down the helix and come back into, into that end, which mm -hmm. represents Tail and Bend, but the train moves down to this end, so it's ready for the next session yeah, Adelaide. Yes, yes. So I met you seven years ago. You were working mm. in the train store yep. at the time. Obviously, you've retired since then. Yes. What knowledge did you take? Because we have a number of listeners and participants that work casually in train stores to maintain certain areas of knowledge, be it DCC installation, be it various scenery techniques, this kind of stuff. In terms of work, the knowledge that you gained through that period of time, what changed aspects of your layout based on that? Not much, really. Okay. Because I was... I was always into the technical side and the, mm -hmm. the high end, the, the track laying. Certainly. Uh, the, I guess Certainly. the skill that I had was mm -hmm. 
not so much learnt from the shop, mm-hmm. but related back into passing it on in the shop. Yeah. And in terms of simplifications or any changes that you made to your layout, nothing? nothing not really. No, okay. the only thing I have done is that side used to be another hidden siding where I would run in and it was a dead end. Mm. I've since ripped that out. Yep. It's Full now yep. uh, the same as this. It, it comes in as a run-through layout, mm-hmm. uh, run-through storage area. So I can run in and then run back out. It's a big return loop and come back out onto the layout again. Certainly. So I've got two two staging areas as such. Mm-hmm. But that one really represents a port and a, a um, with a dumper. Yep. Uh, but there's no no scene or anything like that. It's just purely operational purposes. Mm-hmm. And the return loop up the top there um, is uh, it's got a mine up there. Ah. My shoot I floodloaders there. Just to, it's not scenic. It's just mm-hmm. for. Certainly. For operations. I guess what I noticed was the Rico throttles all the way through and this kind of stuff. So is that something that you brought to the shop or is that something that... No, as soon as Rico came out with their Mm -hmm. version of that, because I had to sell it, I thought Mm -hmm. I'd better learn it. Okay. Okay. And uh, I went that way and went from the little Mm -hmm. controller to the bigger controller and now to the the cordless. Mm -hmm. Um, That's since been discontinued and they've gone to a a new system, Mm -hmm. tablet. But they now do this in a Wi-Fi version ah, for okay. the tablet one. Interesting. Such. Interesting. Um, but uh, I'm I'm happy with this. Jim, he's taken it on too. We're all certainly we're happy with it. We've all taken it on. Yeah. Yes. And, yes. And going back to what Don's saying earlier about uh, you know you didn't learn much from the shop. I think it would be what 1975. You were teaching us how to hand make oh, points. Yeah, been, <laughs> been a long time ago. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We were catching up with a guy this afternoon. Mm-hmm. That, Jim Session, who taught me how to hand lay points. I mm. think it was. It'd be John. Oh, John back, Gordon. Back in the, oh, the days of Belair. When mm. yeah, that, and that's going back into the early 70s, I reckon. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, they all did hand lay track, and that's where I, I learned it there. Wonderful. But, uh, I would never do it again. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's just too time-consuming. Uh, yeah, and, and John's also been... What, editing all the materials for the South Australian Railway Modelers yeah. annual convention. Yeah. So yeah. he's, you know, he's pretty much tied up in the hobby. And you also got some European stuff up on the wall there that oh, you've got yeah. in the shop. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, I keep an interest in, in the, Europe, uh, Swiss, the Swiss Railways, but then I went across to Swiss Narrow Gauge. Oh, uh, gosh. So that's got a bit of a collection. There's a lot, lot more buried underneath. Gosh. And the original idea was that when I rebuilt this yard, I put in a small narrow-gauge section, mm-hmm. and it will run down here on a fairly steep grade, just into a little hidden siding. Yes. I'm giving some thoughts now to pulling that out and doing a exhibition layout of that and convert that. I want to cover this and in here have a typical Midwestern town mm. um, like you see in the movies. Mm-hmm. I, I love those Midwestern towns mm. with the Woodland Scenics oh, yes. buildings. Yeah. I, I love all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I reckon a, um, a main street down there. Yes. And I love the old cable cars, so I'm yes. going to bend the rules and have a cable car running up here mm-hmm. on a So when you say Midwest, are you thinking well, Wisconsin or are you thinking Kansas City uh, or what are you thinking? Well, I just call it Midwest. Okay. Yeah. Stuff I see in movies um, where the, there's 10 people live there now, but certainly. all the buildings are there. Yes, yes, uh, certainly. Everything's moved out. Certainly. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, the, the 
the gradient and the ability to do, you know, rock facing and things like that as well would be very interesting. So, yeah, very nice. Very nice. Well, thank you very much for showing you around. And you're coming to the barbecue yes. and the other festivities oh, tonight. Yes. Yeah, so we'll, yeah, we, no yeah. doubt we'll hear from you again. Yeah, oh, yeah we're operating together this afternoon. Wonderful, yes, yeah. most definitely. So you'll have all kinds so, of more uh, stories. You're driving and I'm about to tell you what to do. Apparently so. <laughs> Apparently so. <laughs> so. Looking forward to it. So the morning has continued. We found ourselves at Wayne's layout. Now, Wayne has been introduced previously on Model Rail Radio, but Wayne, to introduce yourself in your own words in the, to the general audience, how did you get started in the Model Railroading hobby? Oh, we, we've got to go back a long time, Tom. Uh, first train set was a Hornby tin plate, mm. uh, probably what we call these days O-gauge, mm-hmm. um, clockwork. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I progressed to a train, mm-hmm. electric train, the problem was I was living with my grandparents and uh, uh, every time you wanted to play trains, you had to put the track down in the Certainly. hallway yes. in the yes. lounge and then pack it up before yes. grandfather got home from work. Yes. So it was, Hornby made that a little bit easy, though. I mean, they, it, was, it was designed for that, right? Well, it, it was sort of like a snap track thing. Exactly. A sec- yeah. sectional track. Did it have the little couplers which pushed in and out? The, not the couplers, the joiners which pushed in and out? I, my grandfather as well started me on that Hornby stuff, so I'm very familiar. The, the first generation didn't just snap together. The first generation had little things that kind of clipped in, you had to put in around but you might have been on the second generation that just snapped together yeah the ones i had that was it was the old standard gray mm-hmm. uh, train track and that just clicked together yes clicked together um, yeah. yes and then i from there scale electrics came on the scene mm-hmm. so the trains went out the door mm-hmm. and then uh, two or three of my mates and i all got into scale electrics so we, mm. were, we had this huge collection of electric cars and all that but mm. the only problem with that is you can't do it on your own. No. So after a few years, the Scale Electrics went out the door. Yes. And the trying trains came back. Mm. And by this time, I was about 16. Other things come along in life. Of course, certainly. Uh, certainly. Cars and mm-hmm. females and work and things <laughs> like that. And uh, I then, for some strange reason, I converted to Engage. Mm. And I had a several Concor Santa Fe PA1 diesels. Certainly. In the blue... The blue colour scheme, they were very nice. And one day I was walking through the city in Gawler Place mm-hmm. and walked past Bridgelands, you mm-hmm. know, Bridgie's mm-hmm. shop. Mm-hmm. And there, sitting in the window on a glass shelf, was a Athern Southern Pacific PA1HO. And Gosh. I thought, that I want that. Yep. So the Engage went out the window mm-hmm. and uh, I got back into HO USA. Mm-hmm. Which I seems could, to be very well represented. In well, your this, this is version two, right, Tom? Because all I did was collect yes. for many, many, many years, yes. and uh, yes. then yes. SAR stuff started to come on the yeah. on the market. But you had to put it all together, and you had to convert locos from American chassis and all this. And I had so much stuff in SAR and Victorian. Yes, and I came to the conclusion one day I haven't started my layout yet. I'm not going to live long enough to build yes. locomotives, wagons, a layout. So I sold it all, mm-hmm. and because I'd built a lot of it and, and uh, did a reasonable job of building the wagons, yes, uh, I got a lot of money for it. Mm. So then I invested that money in in, in all, the, all the current US stuff, right? And uh, 
Then one day I was coming home from the exhibition at uh, the dog track, called into the train shop, saw Don, mm-hmm. and I said to him, what's this digital stuff? Yes. So he explained it to me, so on the spot, I bought a digital system and mm-hmm. two locomotives and two Dakotas. Mm. And we caught up with Don this morning, Yes. and he said, unlike most customers, you actually took it home, learnt about it, had more questions. The improved cycle associated with DCC was strong in you, um, from, from Don's analysis, and certainly this particular area has a very particular DCC setup, which I think is something that's unique that I've found to this area. And it seems to mainly come through Don's tutelage, that he's been able to teach people DCC slightly easier than most, based on the ROCO units. Uh, is your plan? Yes. yes, yes, we've still got... We're... Very good, very good. Waiting, I couldn't quite see it. So, for folks listening in, you have... An operation-centric layout. Ah, little tablet there. Very good, very good. Very good. Could you describe your layout to the listeners? Describe the layout. (laughs) It's 45 feet long. Mm -hmm. It's in two sheds, which I built together, joined together. Uh, One's 13 feet wide, another one's 22 feet wide. It's a point-to-point system. It runs basically around the wall, and then there's a peninsula that runs right down the middle. That's about... 30 feet long, mm. and it goes around that twice. There's no continuous running on the on the layout mm. because the designer forgot to put that in. <laughs> and unlike gyms where you can have continuous run. Mm. Um, but it would just be a matter of a... The levels don't quite... But you could put a bridge in at some stage, right? You could make uh, a continuous run at some stage. Yes. I've, I used to operate on the layout from... Uh, SAR people, mm. and I did that for 30-plus years. Mm. And there was three lessons I learned from that layout <laughs> when I built mine. Yes. No duck-unders. Yes. Limited um, hidden storage. Yes. And don't back trains out of hidden storage to turn them around for the next yeah. session. Yeah. Put a reverse loop in. So, yeah. A, I don't have a duck-under. Mm-hmm. B, I have three hidden storage tracks which all go off the layout and back on via a reverse loop, so mm-hmm. there's no backing of trains. Yes. And see the hidden trackage I failed. Mm. I've got too much Yes. Yes, I can see. I can see, yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's uh, two out of three is not too bad, but mm. it's 66%. That's a pass. Yes. <laughs> but you seem to be very UP-centric, which I like. I'm a big fan of the UP myself. Or am I just looking in one direction? You would have got on well with Roscoe, or you will. <laughs> yes, no, most definitely. So it's mainly UP, right? No, it's this is UP up here. Uh-huh. It's basically Santa Fe, UP, and Southern Pacific. Okay. But there is more UP locos than the others, mm-hmm. although there's a lot of Santa Fe stuff yep, out yep, on the road. As I said, I learnt an operating system at this other guy's place for 30-odd yes. years. So I've used the same operating system, which is basically a, um, a, a wagon card for every wagon mm-hmm. with a waybill. And uh, we have the in-hold and out boxes at every station. Yes, certainly. And uh, session cards. cards. Yep. Yep. Yeah, job yep. cards. You just take the next one. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, we have a fast clock. Yes. Four to one, yes. which is run off a computer. Yes. And each operating session takes two and a half hours real time, ten hours scale time. Right. And in terms of the number of operators, seven around that number? The the system is designed for four. Four, okay. A a maximum of four, or minimum maximum. Okay. 
but there's quite often there's five or six people here, okay. which just means either people wait uh, a little bit longer between jobs or they double up. Certainly. Yeah, certainly, certainly. But see, my interest in, in trains is it's not so much what the prototype is, mm-hmm. because I was never a chain tracer as a kid yes, or yes. a train spotter, and I'm yeah. still not. Yeah. My two interests were operations and electronics. Yes, yeah, certainly. And uh, meeting up with Jim. Of course. He's got very similar uh, aspirations about electronics and operation as well. So as Jim noted when we came in, JMRI, when did you move to JMRI specifically? Oh, I put it in about 18 months ago. Okay, so <laughs> relatively recent, relatively recent. Yeah, recent, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. How has that changed your operation? Well, it's, it enables me now to have tablets mm-hmm. so that, in, because with the Roco system, but they did a fantastic job in introducing the blue controllers, which is wireless. Yes. And then someone in their wisdom in Europe said, no, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to go to yep. another system. And uh, I think that was the biggest mistake they ever made. However, we can now expand the system. Um, instead of having to buy new controllers, which you can't, mm. um, we can use tablets. Mm. So that number of tablets is endless. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm not too fussed now that I can't expand on the Roco system mm-hmm. uh, as such. Mm. In California, maybe because it's California, the ability for new folk to come into a layout and immediately pull out their phones and start operating trains is really amazing. And to see that in the wild and to see people that have never even been to layouts before immediately come in and start operations without any warm-up uh, is certainly a feature where JMRI is just omnipresent. Now we're moving to... Um, they used to be microcontrollers, they're actually now just computers on chips that uh, enable in single, basically replicating JMRI, but just putting it in a box. Um, So I think it's uh, very exciting times for this particular area of the hobby. Um, And I think increasingly um, the ubiquity of this stuff, and I mean the Bluetooth and a wide variety of other technologies seem to be really leading the charge. And also, have you looked at um, OpenLCB at all? Have you looked at any of that yet? Right. That's the next wave. If, it, if, if, if you're interested in this aspect of the hobby, and then your uh, signaling and a wide variety of other features controlled by independent uh, you know, devices on the layout or communicating, and that's all JMRI compatible as well. So there's a lot of exciting stuff happening through this. I know that Jim will be a um, what an entryway, a gatekeeper. No, what, what would the term be? A facilitator. <laughs> I guess the first bit of signalling we're doing is going to be wired. Mm-hmm. It's just pure logic. Yes. Um, but when I do the lower level, we may be able to put Wi-Fi devices instead of that eight hundred meters of wire we put in. The top. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, certainly for the size of your layout and these things. Although Jim was mentioning, and this is another topic that we talk about periodically. You're not going to be here in this particular location for much longer, right? No, no. So you're in the process of planning the next layout currently. I, I, I lovingly refer to it as layout number two because this is this is layout number one. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, we are moving in about 18 months mm-hmm. um, to another house. So hence the reason there's not a lot of scenery on this one. Yes. But I did decide in that section up there where, as you know, Don's been working, mm-hmm. that we would experiment with different types of scenery until we demolish it because mm-hmm. I'm not very artistic. Mm-hmm. So I need people to show me how to 
put plaster down and how to Certainly. Yes. paint it and make rocks and all that. So that's what that's all about. Yes. And Don's enjoying it. I'm enjoying it watching him do it. My artistic talent is just those buildings over there. There's, there's no shame in that. No. Um, well, it's not too bad, Tom, but yeah. uh, I had a friend of mine come up one day and he was he was uh, having a... His girlfriend was uh, from the Clare Valley. Ah, okay. A nice wine area. Mm-hmm. Yes, know the Clare Valley well. And she was an artist and I, they were up here one day and I said to her, could you show me how to paint clouds? Mm. So she painted the clouds for Wonderful. Me, and I said, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Hence my effort. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. Demonstrations. But, of, but you can you can see yeah. the difference between a professional and me. So yes. I'm happy to learn from other people. Okay. Trying to emulate them is difficult. So, in terms of a splendid failure, but worth noting because a lot of people do it as well. You have a section around the part where you're testing scenery, where you're also testing using real photos and stitching them together. Yes. And this is something that's certainly come up quite frequently because. We have a lot of people that travel or they have layouts that are based far from where they are. You have a, your layout is based far from where you are, quite fundamentally. But you have the ability to take certain scenes and put them together. Now, you also have slight gaps in them, but not gaps which are too big to fill in between. Can you talk a little bit about the use of photographs in your backdrop? Okay, I... Wanting to put backdrops up, and I've been collecting articles out of Model Railroad mm-hmm. for some time, and I know there's various companies around that produce them, but they're quite expensive. Certainly. And one of the biggest problems that we have out here in Australia is the postage from America is absolutely incredible. Believe me. Yes. Uh, it, it, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and, yes. uh, it's also, to explain even more, it's frustrating to go into a US post office and post something to Australia the paperwork is overwhelming, the staff aren't always pleasant. There are a number of obstacles which are put in the way associated both commerce one way and commerce the other way, which are unnecessarily but certain well noted in my own experience too. So what have you done here specifically? I, I went up to an area in Adelaide Hills and I, I it's called Cullington and I, I parked the van and I got the camera out and I took a series of shots. I probably took about 20 photos. <laughs> Um, then I came home and downloaded them and through Photoshop Editor, enhanced them a little bit and mm. then tried to get them to look the similar mm-hmm. uh, size because you, when you take a photo from the one spot, as you pan mm. around, you're getting the, the far distant hills are getting further away. Certainly, yes. So there's, a, there's an error in the, in the size of the images. Mm-hmm. But, so then I printed them out on coloured paper and unfortunately for me, my colour printer cartridge was running out. And, uh, <laughs> Always the way. And it was $67 for a new one, and I couldn't get one, so I just kept going and going mm-hmm. to print them out and see what it would look like as a, as a Vista. Yes. And then we used some spray adhesives and sprayed it on the back after lining all the photos up with the next one, with mm. the guillotine, and then we stuck them on the wall. But uh, when I came out the next day, I'd found that all the the glue must have shrunk the paper by about half a millimetre, so mm. there's just a little gap between each, each photo. So Certainly. as part of an experiment, I can see the value of it, but it didn't work the way I wanted it to. Yes, so. yes. So the folks that do it in the US have access to um, print shops, which can do it with some degree of quality, and they also typically use uh, Photoshop or some other image editing package to do the stitch together and also create... 
repeating themes that they can use in joining abutments and things like that. So it's never perfectly photorealistic to the prototype, but it looks good enough, basically. You seem to almost be there associated with what you've done here. So it's an interesting, uh, just a single step away from achieving probably what you're looking for in the long run. Yes, I'm aware of the print shops. I know Jim's used print shop type facilities. control panels. Yes, Mm. but I, I haven't gone to one to find out if we can print like a three or a four foot long mm-hmm. print, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we don't, I don't see it, the way you could do it is a poster print. Mm-hmm. Certainly, All right, and, and they started about forty five bucks a print. Yeah, you see, this is the this is the economy <laughs> of scale that you get in the yeah. US that you don't get here, yeah. unfortunately. So yeah, yeah, yeah it starts yeah. to get very expensive. Um, the other thing that they do is they use uh, projectors. And they just project it on and then they paint it in between. Now, we've, we've covered this with regards to the clouds, but <laughs> you can at least then get a feel of the shapes and these kind of things. Yes, you could do that, but uh, I, I don't have any confidence in my artistic skills <laughs> to even trace. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, a little bit of a disadvantage there. So, you're coming and operating tonight, aren't you? This afternoon, this yes. This afternoon? Yes. Wonderful, yes. wonderful. So, we're going to do a recording afterwards. We'll be able to fill in any gaps and in that but it's been an absolute pleasure to have a chance to come and see your layout today and have a chance to chat with you well, thank you for coming so december 27th 2011 i know this date very well we recorded the south australian takeover show i know this date for a few reasons but it was a much-needed, much-welcomed opportunity to meet Jim Gifford and some of the folk who are here this evening. What is interesting is how many new faces are around this table. We've lost a couple of people that are around the table as well. But what I find fascinating about Jim's group is it's a substantial social network with people of such a diversity of interests in the model railroading hobby. We have a few different scales represented here. We have a number of different folks. So what I'm going to do, we're about three to five minutes, if you can think in that kind of time frame. If you can introduce yourself and your model <laughs> railroading interests, I think that would be a good way to start this thing. Roscoe, I've had the opportunity to know you since Jim first started. You've come and stayed with us. You've seen more layouts than you can ever possibly remember in that, that trip. That's <laughs> been illustrated. So for folks listening in, I've seen your layout today. Lots of it has changed, although you deny this. It's a lot cleaner than I remember it. You well, can run yeah. a train around it. Yeah. The scenery is coherently done. Yeah. Can you talk about when you got back from the trip, the inspiration that you had from that trip and the kind of things that you're still thinking about doing well, on that Well, map? yes. I mean, that trip was actually fantastic and the hosts in the US were absolutely tops. Mm. And to see... The variety of layouts and, and how people go about it was mind-boggling, really. I mean, thoroughly enjoyed the trip, and the hosts were fantastic. Yeah. And yes, I've got to admit, it certainly did create a lot of inspiration. It really did. Really did. Yeah. Prior to the trip, he was thinking, oh, I might chuck this hobby. Yes, well, I did. I was, I was ready to chuck it in. And uh, What would you have used the bunker for, if not for my world? Well, apart from growing dope and supporting the bench. <laughs> <laughs> what, what else would it be good for? Very good. Very good. That's a very Californian of you. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. 
Now, all jokes aside, the trip really did inspire inspire me to get back into the, the railroading. But since I've been back with Jim, I have trying. Well, I'm trying to resurrect my caravan because I found wood rot in it. Mm. I've done the outside. I've just got to do the inside. But I am getting back into model railroad. Mm. And I discovered an ultralight plane. Well. Yeah, yeah, well, that was a dream going way back before I got married and started a family. But right. uh, it was going cheap, so I grabbed it. Very good. Yeah, <laughs> so that's been worked on too. There's, there's heaps of projects, but the railroad is top one. It is, it is happening. Certainly. Yeah. Certainly. So, yeah, thank you to the guys in the US that inspired me. Thank you. And, well, yes. Yeah. And, and thank you. Well. Thank you, Tom, for yeah. being a good host. And, it, it amazes and, me just by talking. And teeing you can it up. create a community, right? Oh, just by yeah. talking. Yeah. You yeah. can create a community. Yeah. So. yeah. No, it was great. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate it. Thank great. you. Peter. Peter Saunders, yeah. Peter Saunders. two apostles here. Very good. Please introduce your model railroading interest. And how, how do you know this fellow? Uh, I know him through Roscoe. Okay. I probably joined the, clump, the, the group last year. Okay. Um, yeah, just after I retired from work. My main interests are South Australian Railways. Got developing a layout at home, about five metres by mm-hmm. two metres oval, mm-hmm. with a branch line under a second level. Yeah. So in terms of these folk, I mean, obviously Roscoe is a good introduction to this. Mm-hmm. What kind of skills are you looking to learn? What kind of things are you looking to, to pick up from these folk? I don't know anything, really. Well, I've got a, a reasonable knowledge of everything as it is, but... Mm-hmm. It's always handy to develop new skills and pick up other people's ideas to improve on your own. Wonderful. Um, You're a member of a club too, are you? I, yeah, I'm a member of no longer Model Railroaders at the moment. Um, they've just recently built an exhibition layout, and I probably did a lot of the wiring on that, get that going. Uh, previous to that, I was a member of one of the other large railway clubs, Sama. Mm-hmm. It was quite a few years ago. Yeah, so I've probably been in the hobby for thirty years. Very good. Yeah, we had some sort of discussion, I think, last time. Obviously, seven years ago. Yeah, Barry. Barry mm. brought along yeah. the the folder from the year from the convention. Oh, good. And and, okay. and, and am I and am I right <laughs> in as much, John? You've been editing that sort of stuff. Well, I'm on the committee. Yeah. Right. We'll, we'll work our way around. We'll work our way around. <laughs> I also know Barry from the club, the, the club I was with, Sam. Wonderful. Yeah. And, and Don I know from the model shops. So. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah, Don's another linchpin, but we'll get to him in a minute. <laughs> Des? Des, yeah. Des Davis. I started, I suppose, back in the late 50s, early 60s. Now, late 50s it would have been with the inevitable trying train set mm-hmm. at Christmas. But... I had a fixation about joining the Navy, so that sort of, it was fine, but I wanted to fly, mm. always wanted to fly. So that was pushed to one side, so study took precedence to, to get through. And I finished school and went to the Naval College and um, learned to fly. <coughs> and I was just about to be transferred to NARA for the Naval training, and they said, Sorry, you're colourblind. So that ended a short but illustrious naval career. <laughs> so I've had various jobs in the... I've worked in, well, most of my life in the airline industry. That's where I met my wife. And 
when we got married, I said, you know, what are the chances of sort of having a small six by four layout just to play around with? She said, fine. That's now gone into a five metre by two and a half metre shed, mm-hmm. um, three layer. It started off as European, mm-hmm. um, mainly because I thought everything ran so well in those days, Roco, Flash, <coughs> things like that. And then I met this bloke. Mm. We moved over here. <coughs> Thank you. And uh, mm-hmm. when the airline went bust, I joined Fred and Don at the shop. And I slowly but surely got interested in South Australian models. Mm. Um, I still got interested in Victorian models because mm. that's where we came over from. But anything train-wise has got a fascination, I suppose. So. Uh, other than aviation kerosene, which I still maintain. <laughs> And I met, uh, through Don, I met Jim, I met Wayne, John, who lives just down the road, and various of the other boys here from, from operating with, uh, with Jim. But prior to meeting Jim, I'd never seen a card system in my life or Wayne. Mm. And it, it had me bamboozled. And I thought, I don't need this at this stage in life. But I'm gradually getting used to it. It's, it's, it's getting more enjoyable. Mm. But, um, yeah, I, I model both South Australian, a bit of Victorian, and I've learnt digital. Mm-hmm. I'm the only bloke I know who will mill a piece of metal and paint it black and polish it, um, simply because I like things neat, mm. which is a bit of a fixation for three. But uh, we had a laugh about it, but uh, we got on well together and uh, we do a lot of modelling together and sort out problems that we may have. There's at least one phone call a day, possibly two. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's my story. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. So, Don, I met you seven years ago. Yeah. You thought it was three years ago, but yeah. actually seven <laughs> years ago. Yeah. And you're no longer at the shop, but no. you've continued to inspire all railroaders in the area, and you also obviously well, met so. a lot of them <laughs> through the shop. I had a chance to see your home layout today, which was really very nice. And the thing that I liked about it in particular is your use of colour to describe very specific locations. And you told me a story associated with grey on your lap and obviously like BJ who was yeah. such a large part of this yeah, group. He was our scenery god, guru, whatever you like. Certainly. Mentor. Uh, <laughs> mentor, yeah. Uh, but he had fixations in certain areas and they were very good in that area mm. uh, he, he spent most of his life in the bush teaching yes. so the bush is his scenery hence what you see in Jim's layout and, mm. and a few others um, I wanted to do in my area because it's based on basically Adelaide the tail men mm-hmm. I wanted to do the hills area but I didn't want brown Aussie mm. uh, and we drove through the hills one day coming back on the old Murray Bridge Road and at the end of October and everything was lush green grass about this high so that's what I want mm. and that's what I've tried to do uh, and as we said this morning a couple of the cuttings I've got a nice well I think it's a nice desert uh, ochre colours with these slashes of grey through it yes and uh, which is granite rock and Barry said to me no that's not right and uh, anyway I said next time I go down that way we'll take some photos and we took some photos of some of the cuttings and it's exactly what they are mm. and he said well I've never noticed that Mm. Because he was fixated in other areas. Certainly. And likewise, there's certain things that I've done now that I didn't used to do because I wasn't interested in that area. Yeah. Uh, and I was always a great, for, well, long time photographer of trains in general. Three quarter front shot. Mm-hmm. 
That's what we took. But, yeah, you look at other people's photos, uh, and they've taken wrong and stuff, stuff like that. Uh, and now I don't, if I look at a photo, I don't look at the train, I look at the infrastructure. Because mm. that's the interest, that's the bit that adds to the layer. If you don't have the, the scenery and the infrastructure correspondingly, then it, it just doesn't look right. Mm. Uh, and as I, as I said this morning, the trains I run, I run a whole variety of trains, British, European, uh, Aussie modern, Aussie old, American, East, West, North, South. Mm. Uh, but the trains that are on the layer have to be, or as close as I can, correct for what it's meant to be. So you wouldn't see... Um, uh, a steam train, early SAR steam train, on a modern train of today, mm. which you sometimes see at exhibitions, and that's right up my goat. But hey, look, we're all different. <clears throat> we run what we like, and, and uh, I, I wear it. Certainly. Uh, I think I, no, it might be talking to Brenton or someone. Jim runs <clears throat> an E9 and a Fairbanks Morse on his Sunset Limited. Well, I don't know SP all that well, I've got it. Uh, but that probably never happened. Mm. But if Jim's happy running it, then that's acceptable. So I've got those bloody MTH flocos running properly. It had to be that. <laughs> so, so, yeah, Wayne runs from one section on his layout uh, a double stack container train with a UP gas turbine. Mm. Now, it's totally wrong, totally incorrect. But again, <laughs> if he's happy doing it, then I go along with it. It's not a complaint, no. It's tolerance, I think, of what everybody else does. Very good. I don't like your scenery. I prefer mine. Mm. I like a bit of yours, and I'll, I'll adapt that and put it into mine and, and vice versa, and hopefully, hopefully you get some ideas out of, uh, out of mine. Because <coughs> uh, uh, yeah, I've had well, what we're modelling since the early 60s, mm. modelling as in playing trains, but now it's, it's modelling. Uh, we've learned a lot over the years. The shops taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of contact with a lot of people, uh, and much to the boss's disgust, you get to talk to them mm. about their, and they they pass on hints and things like that. You, you pick all that up, yes, you know, from um, you, and so your knowledge becomes much greater. Mm-hmm. And if I can pass any of that on to anybody, well, and, <coughs> bit, and vice versa, I'll I'll listen to what they say. Except this bloke, Bez here. <laughs> We don't take any notice of him, but yeah, that's that's part and parcel of our friendship. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's uh, he gives as much as I I give, so uh, won't over the road. Yeah, yeah. We, we have fun when we have without a session. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I know some days, certainly in the shop, I could be talking to somebody, and we're, we're bantering back and forth, and there's other serious customers in the shop looking at you. What the hell are they on about? <laughs> but we know and we're happy and then you might say, oh, that's right, that's the way we talk to everybody all the time. There's no no offence. Mm. Yeah, and, and I think that lightens the whole field and certainly does with the, the operating side. Certainly. Um, and we've all got a lot to learn on each each other's layout. It's going to take years to really converse, but let's have some fun doing it. Yes, you know? definitely. If you want to give me a bit of stick, well, I'll give you a stick back too. Certainly. From that side of it. Certainly. And I had the opportunity to operate under your tutelage today. So well, I, I, I would have liked to have done it. Well, Jim and I have been watching um, some of the other guys have seen it and said, oh, that's too hard and too too involved. But it's prototype operation. So uh, we, we toned that down a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, you, you gave me flexibility yeah. to yeah. run trains too fast yeah. and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah. <coughs> Very good. No, that was, that was 
good. The speedy came back into loco. I'm going to have to. Turn. I couldn't see. It. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to slow those logos. Yeah, we need to slow them down by about a third, so we can use maximum throttle. And, yes. uh, which again, that's the long-term thing in, in my digital side is that the full full throttle will be the top speed that I want, yes. but it won't be the top speed that the locos will get. So that everybody can just turn the wind the throttle up and the acceleration and brake will take over and take it up to the, the speed that we want. Yes. Safer too. Yeah, my Norfolk Western Coal Trains run at a top speed of 20 mile an hour, which is basically what they did in the hill areas. Yes. So it doesn't matter how high you put the throttle up, that's as fast as they will go. Like just the same as John with your train today. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I believe it, you're right early, John. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Brenton, you are a real railroader, right? Yeah, well, I work in workshops. Certainly. So you've got countless stories of people <laughs> losing limbs and this kind of stuff associated with this. But in terms of the, in terms of the hobby, how did you get introduced to this? Group? Well, I blame my uncle, I suppose. Not really, but when I was a baby, I suppose, sort of thing, I was sat in the middle of his train layout that he had and sat on the stool and I was probably three, four, played cars, whatever else on his layout. And done that until I was eight. And then Dad brought me a... Um, and Mum brought me a, S, a GP38-2. It was AN, I reckon. It was painted up in lifelight. Mm-hmm. And then, then my uncle got me in control. Dad had an old board that was just laying up there. had the old... Uh, Real old track, it was all rusty, so they cleaned it up with a bit of cloth, four by eights, pulled all the other track off, made a circle. Then I ended up going from that to <coughs> building building the, this board, which is four by eight, built a tunnel and everything on it with my dad. He was an electrician and that. had. Then I ended up buying a starter kit to Lifelight from Toy World. It had an S7 and three wagons in it as well to go with it. Then that, well, that didn't really cut the mustard after that, so then mum and Dad and my uncle were in, in Adelaide and they brought me this uh, Backman, Backman uh, GE Loco B30, I reckon it was. And some of the trains that pulled, I, I used to load that up on my second layout till it was nearly stopped and pull, pull all these wagons round and round and round by itself. I, I had four sets of brushes go through it. My uncle fixed it up that many times. Mm. To get it going, I was eight, and he brought me an SW12. That had three sets of brushes. That actually ended up wearing through the con, got used that much. Because I used to sit out and play trains for probably six, seven hours when mm. I got home from school. Yes. Mum and Dad had come down and yelled at me to come inside. Did your homework? No, I never did that. That's why I struggled later on in, when I got older, which I sort of do regret now. But. Your uncle was supposed to be here this evening, right? He's been collecting trains since 1980, and my grandfather also collected English stuff, and he's got a lot of the old Hornby English trains and that, so all of our families sort of been into the trains and the railways and that. His his granddad worked in the work on the old narrow gauge railway line that went from from Port Augusta to Alice Springs Mm. as well. So it's basically my family's railway heritage on my uncle's and grandpa's side. And then Dad was an electrician, so then the second layout, that was all in blocks. Dad wired, helped me wire it up. We wired it all up, done all the scenery and that as well on that. That would have been probably from the wall, I reckon, to mm. about five metres, I suppose. Six metres long, I reckon, by two and a bit. Yeah, and it was, had two tracks. It was in blocks. I had a yard, 
and it had the old rotary switches so I could run two trains mm-hmm. around at a time. And yeah, well then I that that layout or that layout ended up going through the family or whatever, but and then I now it's MR now, I've got a layout now that's just got a bit of track and that on it. And then be what four years ago I reckon not? Four or years ago I decided I'll I want to go DCC, mm-hmm. and I well, met Don through the shop, because that's, and I said to Don, I want to go DCC, he, he said this NCE thing blew that up. <laughs> that was my fault though, yeah. blew it up. <laughs> but then, then he, then he gave me this MRC thing, and I've got that now, which was that uh, 3.5 amp, and that was, that was he called the two wire theory it's hooked up with I suppose, <laughs> but. I'm having fun, I'm learning, I'm trying to learn all my lights. And what? Now with my DCC and what I'm doing with my CVs and, and learning to read, read them all, all my values and everything back, mm-hmm. trying to mark around my speed curve, trying to learn, basically just trying to learn how to run a train now on DCC, what I have to do with my locos, and then eventually one day I'd like to build a big layout, but I've got to have money to do that. You've got to stop buying out my guys. <laughs> <laughs> I might add that, and this is no blood on desk because we've been good mates for years and we give each other lots of stick. But Brenton's one of the guys that always rang me in the shop, how do I do this, how do I do that? Mm-hmm. And you'd spend a lot of time on the phone, and over the years, he's grasped a lot of it and he's picked up, <coughs> which is a lot more than what a lot of customers mm-hmm. do. And we developed a, a friendship uh, over that time, and now it's they come down three or four times a year, uh, stay with me, uh, and suddenly came across, um, we brought him over to Jim's one night, and uh, they got talking, and it's amazing how many people that Brent knew in Port Augusta that Tay knew, mm. and Jim knew. Mm. So it, was, it really is a, a small she, world. She knew some of my old school teachers, and then Kathy Bornholm. It's a friendship that's developed, and... No, uh, John Borden, I knew him through Five Inch Railway actually. Homestead, he used to come to Homestead Park and he used to have October runs. So I sort of knew John Gordon from, and he was a fam- family member of, or friend of my grandfather's because he used to come to his farm. Mm-hmm. That's going back to the mid 90s. So in principle, you don't say anything bad about anybody in Adelaide because somebody will know him. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, even corn, it's a lot smaller, same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We play young, what's that game called? You go around in a circle, you start <coughs> Chinese whispers, I reckon it's called. Whispers, yeah. <laughs> Different when it gets to here, we've changed it. <laughs> Peter Jackson, I was sitting next to you. This is an anecdote which I've already gotten permission to retell, so I'll retell. <laughs> you showed me some photos of your lab, and I said, um, you in, have you ever submitted those to Narragage Down Under? Slowly, after about five minutes worth of additional discussion, Peter pointed out that he actually founded Narragage Down Under. <laughs> and I realised that we have so many mutual friends in common, thanks to Model Rail Radio in large part, uh, but also thanks to the Narragage community in Australia, which is internationally very well known, in part thanks to Narragage Down Under. So, Peter, how did you get involved with Model Rail Radio? Oh, Tom. Tom, we better correct one thing to start with. <laughs> Bob Reed was the founder yes. of Narragage Down Under, and I was merely the assistant. Okay. So if Bob ever hears this, we better clarify okay. that straight <laughs> off. Bob was a graphic artist and had a lot of computer experience and printing skills, and mm-hmm. and I think his decision early on in the mid early no, yeah, mid nineteen nineties was really to try and 
create a forum for Australian modelers, particularly those interested in narragage, to display their work. And that's how we started. Mm. And I helped with editing and photography and sourcing articles and all the things that go together with putting a magazine together. So um, my background really has always been model building. I've always been interested in scale building for some reason or other, but always with a, a trains being a strong influence in that. And probably didn't really get to start a layout until we moved to Adelaide in 1984, until I actually had the facility like a building and mm. things like that to put it in. And since then, I, I did a lot of model building on my own, really from a creative point of view, using some prototype on occasion for inspiration, but other times photos, other people's layouts and ideas. Um, and then develop a real interest in the art side. So these days I try and promote the hobby as an art form mm. more than just playing trains, which a lot of people I think describe it as. So if anybody comes to my house and says, oh, I've heard about your train set, they, ne <laughs> they never get to see the inside of my studio. Mm. <clears throat> so uh, the thing that's fascinated me, I think, in recent years with model railroading is the is the growth in the variety of skills that we can actually develop and the experiences that you can learn from dealing with other model railroaders. So I worked for an American company for 10 years and went to the US many times to and got interested in the American style of railroad and then ended up with narrow gauge, three foot and O scale as, as my preference. And that's what I've been doing for the past probably a bit over 20 years. Mm. And gradually just developing skills and more recently with people like Jim and others sitting around this table and others who aren't here, finally realising that I built all these structures and scenes and logos and rolling stock and they really need to go somewhere. And I thought, well, maybe I better start operating this thing. <laughs> so suddenly the interest became one of DCC, uh, sound as another adjunct to the whole theme of the railroad, and uh, that's what's kept me interested in for the past, you know, for the past couple of years. But uh, th the fascination for me is the hobby of um, it's an art form. It's a whole variety of different skills that people need to develop, and you do to some greater extent than others. Seeing other people's railroads is always inspirational because I don't think I've ever walked away from looking at a railroad with gaining, without gaining a single idea or technique, even if it's only one, mm. that you might then apply in your own uh, hobby sort of world. And, uh, and then the social side of model railroading has been quite interesting from my point of view. So it's like a door opener. So if you can get a contact in England or in America <laughs> or other parts of Australia or wherever it might be, you generally find model railroaders to be very hospitable, sociable, and always keen to show you what they've been doing or how they've done it. Uh, even if you think, oh, I think I could do that better, they still want to show you, you know, exactly how they go about putting their scenery together or building a tree or, or painting a piece of rolling stock. Mm. And it's a fun thing to do. And I think the social side is a pretty important part of the hobby, really. Mm. I guess there's two issues I'd like to add. Mm -hmm. I think this man's got MMR after his name. Mm -hmm. He's introduced us to some, some nice people in LB2. 
And, you know, recently I went to Victoria. Mm-hmm. We had an introduction, saw two lovely layouts. So, you know, it's a pleasure to have you around. And he dobbed me in for the NRMA layout tour, I'm sure. Because mm. he introduced <laughs> Jerry Hopkins, who's mm-hmm. a bit of a, you know, he's the MRR guru in Australia. And um, he tried to talk me into it, and I said, no, it's too much like committee work. Um, <laughs> so, just, just a, another dimension. Certainly. <clears throat> just the only other thing I'd add, uh, thinking about the range of skills and experiences we developed, that when Bob and I got the Narrow Gauge Down Under magazine underway, we suddenly found out that we actually had to take photographs of static models and getting things in perspective and depths of field and lighting and all that sort of thing in the early to mid 90s became a real challenge in itself. So my interest in photography then developed as we sort of learned our skills and developed and added equipment to our you know, box of goodies that we took around to different layouts and so forth. And the photography side for me has become an interesting part of actually testing your modeling skill and your ability to create the art form and see how real it might look, whether it's in colour or in mono. And I always, I'm always very pleased if somebody comes into my studio and there's a photo up on the wall and they say, where did you take that photo? That looks, you know, that must be up in the Dandenongs in Melbourne or something. And I say, oh no, that's just around the corner on the layout. Mm. You know, where yeah. I took that. So yeah. that's that's always uh, that's always a bit of fun and um, and a nice way to to get some recognition for the skills that we all develop in this hobby. Certainly. <clears throat> yes, I I love Charles Kirk's work for exactly the same reason. Mm. You can show them a YouTube video of Charles's meandering through, and they think it's a real place. You know, yeah. it's amazing the, uh, <coughs> the skills that this hobby develops. And as you say, to break the misunderstanding associated with what model railroading is, uh, very important. Well, I think there's, I think for me, when I, one of the inspirational layouts for me was Paul Scholes mm. in Seattle, again, from that point of view that he was creating that three-dimensional art form. And I, I think, I, I hope that more model railroaders don't sort of downplay their skill and the ability and all the things they do because we um, we actually need to explain better what the hobby can do for people, both mm-hmm. from a social perspective and also a skill perspective. Because now with the adjunct of um, computers and chips and small speakers and all the other things, there's a whole new dimension that's been Certainly. opened up in, into the hobby. So let's hope that our young people can be attracted into that too to keep all the, the interest going. Well, make it easy for me. When you think about it, now you're a local, you just plug a chip into it and sure. do a few things. What do you think mm. we used, used to have to do to get DCC to work? <coughs> That's right. Mm. Well, following that thing, Don gave Wayne an amazing introduction prior to actually going and seeing you all out. Based similar on what he said about Brenton, you were someone who was fascinated by DCC and took everything on that Don provided you and gained a whole lot more through that. We've already had an opportunity to chat, so that'll be at the start of the recording. In terms of your new layout, in terms of designing that currently, you have a sense of the space. Is it going to be the same prototype? I don't think we had a proper opportunity to talk about your new layout. The new, well, I'm hoping it'll be a minimum of 24 by 24 feet. Mm. That's what I'm hoping. Um, It depends on ultimately where 
the wife decides we're going to move to and uh, how much land there is for me to build a shed. <clears throat> and we hope it's not too far away. Exactly, exactly. But um, it will be the same prototype because I've got, I've got so much uh, US prototype it makes no sense to me to get rid of all that Certainly. and then go back and perhaps get back into Australian, SAR, Victorian. Um, it's, to me, it's just a waste of money. And so, no, I'm happy to keep going with the prototype I've got. I'll keep the operating system I've got, try and design into the new layout some of the issues I don't like about the current one and hopefully move on from there. And I have indicated to the wife that when we do move... I'll be spending basically 24-7 in the shed <laughs> uh, building the layout. I'm not interested in planting gardens, building rose beds and planting lawns and paving and all this. That's Someone else can do that. My hobby will be all I'm interested in, apart from red wine and riding a motorbike. That's about it. Because mm. I'll be 72 by then and uh, you've got to think, well, at some stage things are going to slow down a lot. So... Mm. Based on the space, two turntables again? Um, no, I think I think Tom might have one big bigger mm-hmm. yard and have a full turntable mm-hmm. rather than two half ones. Yes. Very good. Yeah. Very so good. that's that's the current thinking. And um, Jim and Don and everyone else will have a chance to have some input into it to fix up what people perceive is wrong with the current layout. <laughs> No shortage of opinions, I guess. No, no, and as I say, I, I'm happy if people talk to me, but I don't have to do anything. <laughs> you know, yeah, but, but hang on, 12 months ago when we <coughs> talked to you and said Lowood Crossing doesn't work, you pulled the whole bloody lie out and put in exactly, what we suggested. Exactly, because it made sense, <laughs> but I don't have to take on board every suggestion. Because <laughs> after all, I'm the Railways Commissioner, and uh, I can sack any employee I like. Very true. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> I've had to sack a lot lately because they've stuffed up scheduling and things like that. So. <laughs> the commissioner does the schedules. I like that. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Yeah, so that's that's where we're hoping to go in the in the future. Wonderful. Mm. Wonderful. John, people were very excited when they heard that you were coming this evening. Were they? In the people that I met, they were all very excited that you were going to be here, primarily because you represent an aspect of this hobby which is so deep and so broad and dates back to the 60s, I've been told. In terms of what it was like to model in the 1960s, clearly a lot of scratch building, clearly a lot of modelling skills, which you've seen develop, and as has been noted here this evening already, lots of ready-to-run stuff now. How important are the modelling skills that existed in the 1960s to define a group such as this, but ultimately, you know, Narragage Down Under, Australian model railroading, is about scratch building in the worst possible conditions mm. to create prototypes look absolutely amazing. Can you talk a little bit about that, particularly as it was in that time period? Sure. Um, I was uh, going way back, a bit like Des with uh, the, the uh, train sets. I've, I've still got my original O-gauge, Hornby <laughs> wind-up home in the shed, a little bit worse for wear. But I had that when I was or eight, nine. So... Um, it's, uh, and then uh, I, mum and dad went away overseas in uh, the mid-60s mm. and uh, I started to build uh, uh, a layout in the shed while dad wasn't home. But I learnt the skills in the club in Sama, uh, mm-hmm. which I was a member of in way back. And um, a couple of people in there 
they were in the scratch building because uh, if you wanted Australian stuff, that was how you had to go. Uh, there was plenty of English and mm-hmm. plenty of American, uh, European models around. Um, at, uh, I liked the SAR stuff uh, and the people in the club um, were interested in building it and, and making them. So through the club, I got sort of hooked on that, I guess. Um, one of the club members, uh, he saw a need for this and he in the mid-60s uh, started an import business and uh, he used to run out of his shed and he had a lot of big uh, northeastern timber uh, over from the US and uh, a lot of other KD stuff that you couldn't get here um, and lots of other were only mentioning early to someone that uh, there was a line called Sally's, which was a white metal little detail parts hmm. producer back in those days, and and they were you know things that we'd never ever seen, and and we were just in in our element really with with all the stuff that we could make, and and then I learned to make my own track. I'd buy the loose rails, mm-hmm. cut up sleepers, and and, uh, and hand lay tracks. Uh, another chap in the club taught me how to build points. And um, up until this last layout that I've built, I've always built points hmm. uh, or, or built my own points. Uh, so that's, you know, as we've said earlier and around the table with, with the skills that you learn, the various skills. And uh, I just, well, I certainly enjoy the running of it. Uh, again, through the members in the club, um, we've got into the card system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been working with the car system for 45 50 odd years now i suppose so it's just sort of a part of uh, part of who you are you know it's, uh, unlike des who's sort of started to pick it up which is good <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but certainly it's a it's a it's a terrific system to uh, to move wagons around um i uh, i built a layout uh, uh in my home i took the back half of the roof off and uh, build a, a 33 by 16 room up there for the layout and then a small bit on the other end for a family room hmm. um, and uh, we had a layout that filled that, that room um, when I shifted we chopped it up into 15 pieces hmm. and re-erected it down at the brother-in-law's and it's still uh, still in operation so, Wonderful. so we, uh, we operate that uh, when it was at my place, it used to be on a weekly op- uh, weekly basis, and some of the guys here uh, tonight uh, were involved in that. Wayne and Don, um, and, and that's always been been the car system at a fast clock. Hmm. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's uh, and lately I've uh, building a, a small smaller layout at home uh, mm-hmm. in a, what was a carport, mm-hmm. and uh, but I'm into. Building, I was, you know, I still love building models and building out of brass shapes and uh, structures and so forth out of brass shapes and uh, you know soldering together for much better than gluing, I reckon. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so you learn lots of skills, as we've said. I've, I'm still learning the DCC. I've, I've, uh, <coughs> I like the concept and so forth, but uh, <laughs> it's a little bit scary, so that's why I fall back on on some uh, members here that... Uh, <laughs> well, we're available. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, so... Uh, but it's a it's a full learning curve, and 
you get carpentry skills, wiring skills, soldering skills, and yeah, it's just endless really. Uh, and of course, meeting meeting all different people. Certainly. Uh, and and we, as we've said, you know, different skills from those. And you take ideas. And when I first started, I used to love going around looking at layouts and picking ideas. And oh yeah, that's a good idea. Or doing it this way or that way. So. Um, so yeah, so I'm still going, still building stuff. But uh, at the moment, I've been building a lot of stuff for other people, but I'm getting out of that now and concentrate on building my lab and finishing that off if I can. <laughs> Wonderful. Perhaps the comment about your contribution to South Australian modelling too. Oh yes, um, through uh, a group of uh, us, um, we and this is our twenty second or twenty third this year convention, we have an annual convention modelling the railways of South Australia and um, it covers all topics from uh, uh, all history of the SAR from locomotives, rolling stock passenger carriages uh, station track diagrams the whole the whole bit hmm. uh, it's not only about the prototype it's about modelling modelling the, the, the various parts of, of, uh, of buildings, stations uh, wagons, rolling stock, the whole, the whole bit, uh, and that's we've never ever we've got this year's agenda uh, pretty full. So that's uh, taking in. We've got a whole heap of stuff ready for next year. So there's never a shortage of, of articles and, uh, and interest uh, things that we can put into it, um, and uh, it's uh, it's printed out on. Uh, um, in on you know good quality paper and it uh, goes to the national or to the state library. They've got a full mm. a full copy of uh, of all the notes and the notes go into sections and they continue on sort of the, like page four hundred and eighty two finishes one article and there was another locomotive construction article and it goes on to four eighty three and a full index. The index is updated every year and uh, we get. On average, uh, between 150 and 180 people each uh, each year mm. uh, to the convention. And uh, in the last uh, 10 years, I suppose, we've been holding Flinders Medical Centre mm-hmm. in the uh, one of the lecture theatres there. So I worked there and uh, was able to uh, to get it there when we got kicked out of, uh, or when we left one of the other venues. That, mm. uh, wasn't quite as satisfactory as what the event, uh, the uh, lecture theatres were. So. But no, it's, it's good. And again, you meet all sorts of people from meet people from here within our group here, uh, and so on. So uh, yeah, it's just endless. The hobby's endless, really. Mm. Uh, it's interesting you mention that because that segues into Barry, who was here seven years ago, but actually brought, I think, some of those printed materials along uh, for our meeting. Um, yeah, and, and since then I've been a speaker myself. I was a speaker in 2015. And um, that in itself, just being a speaker, is an experience. Uh, you experience the uh, the research. Uh, you experience the um, T crossing and I dotting of um, the guys that are there. But uh, you you come to appreciate that because that's what makes the quality of the product. And uh, I'm not bragging too much if I say that we're probably the best of Australia. Oh, oh, right. <laughs> I have heard comments. No, no, no. We have heard comments to that effect. Yes. Uh, so it's it's uh, it's held up in pretty high regard. And uh, uh, recently, in just reviewing some of the material 
that I've held uh, from other sources, I realise that well, I don't need to hold that anymore. It's covered in, in, in the notes that we've got from this uh, ex, um, uh, convention. Mm. Yeah. I need to point out, Barry's finally got his retirement home and now he's challenged with coming up with his layout that he's been talking about for about eight years. So we're all tuned in, mm-hmm. we're waiting to see the design, which is going to be novel. Mm-hmm. But he's always said, I, I model the south line between these years and Barry, over to you. Yes. <coughs> I, uh, some years ago, I set some parameters. I said, um, I want to do 1945 to 1975 South Australian Railways South Line. And that decision has saved me a fortune. <laughs> because my, there, were, there would be some absolutely brilliant models that would come out. And uh, you'd look at them and you'd think, yeah, it'd be nice to have one of those. But it doesn't fit. <laughs> and so uh, you make the decision now can't have it um, but yes uh, it, it's taken us a long time it's uh, I guess it really got a, a push uh, in the backside a couple of years ago when uh, my wife and I really just couldn't keep up with the uh, the property the garden uh, the maintenance and so forth and so uh, now we we have a house that uh, well if I take longer than three minutes to mow both the front and back lawn she wants to know what's taking me so long. Um, it's, uh, there's, there's hardly any garden, just, just green grass. It has a double garage, it has a shed out the back, uh, both of which are, are full at the moment because when we shifted, well, we discovered that sevens and the five doesn't go and um, you've got to, you've got to cull to make it fit. So we're, we're going through this culling thing at the moment. Um, I won't be having a layout that's permanent in the sense of uh, any time you walk into the uh, place there it will be set up. Uh, it'll be a layout that uh, will be assembled from time to time. So um, <clears throat> one of the things that I've uh, explored over the years is how to minimise weight but still have strength. And um, uh, some um, consultation with a uh, a, uh, a civil engineering uh, friend has uh, helped me develop ideas uh, uh, along this line and uh, um, both uh, Jim and Don have been uh, helpful. I, I come up with uh, with something and how can I do this? Well, I've come up with this idea. What do you think about it? And, and they, would, uh, uh, they would go through it and uh, uh, say what you can do, what you can't do. And, and, help solidify uh, stuff that I've had in mind. I've still got to get the basic schematic uh, in, in place, um, but uh, it won't be a big layout, but I'm, I'm hoping that it, it uh, can justify a night's entertainment for the number of guys that, uh, that come along. Um, probably when you were here seven years ago, I was building a sheep van. Um, well, I'm probably still building it. <laughs> um, in, although, in fairness, uh, I did buy um, six of these sheep fans. They're etched brass. Um, I'm not brilliant at soldering, and um, I have found it quite a challenge. But uh, it is progressing, and um, when are you coming back again? Uh, <laughs> That's a very good question. That's a very, very good question. I, di- I did have another question. Yes, indeed. You avoided perfectly describing 
the nature of the materials that you're going to use for your layout? Ah, yes. <clears throat> okay. Um, well, probably one of the central materials would be a, uh, a ply. Um, it's 1.2 mil. And the idea of that is to um, uh, make use of a geodetic structure, um, a series of triangles whereby you can get strength um, but still maintain lightness. And again, I've got this off my, my civil engineering friend. <coughs> um, in more recent times, uh, Don has uh, pointed the way to some other materials that are thicker, um, have strength, uh, and also have lightness. Um, one was so fantastic that when he chased the bunny down the full length of the burrow, the price was so overwhelming that uh, we had difficulty catching our breath afterwards. But it's a, it's a, a ply that is used by the caravanning industry, and I guess the, the weight issue there is very obvious. Um, but that's, um, that's the, um, the main thrust of it. One of the things I can tell you I won't be doing is building a basic frame, covering it with a sheet of particle board or uh, MDF or something, and then um, putting track on top of that. That won't happen. Um, the track will be attached to MDF, and uh, uh, there'll be uh, scenic formers, and it'll be laid on the scenic formers as, as it uh, travels along the board. Um, <coughs> I can't say board, can I? Um, the, the segment of, mm. of uh, yeah. Um, one of, the, one of the other things, I, I guess, I someone was saying a little while ago, you know, at such and such a time I'll be 72, and oh, you know, when you're that age, well, I'm already that age. <laughs> um, and I've had a shift in uh, emphasis, and um, uh, I guess it might explain why my sheep cars are there, take me so long to build. I'm looking more and more to... Uh, emptying boxes and, and uh, putting stuff stayed on the track. And um, the people that Don uh, worked for, um, they have really taken the bull by the horns here in South Australia and are producing uh, very good quality, ready-to-run stuff. Mm. It's diverse. <coughs> it's um, uh, It works. Um, and... Um, uh, I'm actually finding that very good. I have a number of models that I've, I've scratch built myself or made from kits, um, but I also have a lot of packets of stuff that is never going to be, or that are never going to get built. Um, and again, I, I, times, I guess we see times running out. There are other things I do in my life. Um, I also research and write family history, and I've produced a couple of books, and I'm on my third now. That also takes time. So um, uh, that's why my layout uh, won't be a very big one. Apart from room, it's about uh, what I believe I have time to devote uh, to the uh, to uh, setting setting up and uh, what I can comfortably run and feel as though I, I'm in control of it. I've learned a lot from these guys. Um, I first went to, to Wayne's. He had this card system, and I thought, okay. But it, it, it wasn't long before uh, I was quite happy with his cards. I still have to ask him questions. Um, Jim's got this uh, central control thing. Again, it, it takes you a while to get your head around that. Well, it took me a while. Uh, but, you know, uh, you work with it, you hang in there, 
and you, you get to take it on board. Derek, you didn't have an opportunity to come to the operating session, but you obviously know Jim's prior work. In terms of your model railroading interests, how did you get started in the hobby? Well, a bit like John, I think um, I started with a Hornby clockwork loco back in the in the late fifties as well. My dad was always into model railroads, and I can remember when I was still back at school, he used to come home with these brown paper parcels and sort of say, "Come out, come out with me, come up to the garage," and he'd, he'd unwrap this parcel, and there was another box with a beautiful um, River Rossi steamer has so um i ran trains a lot in my dad's he had a single garage size layout just hung from the ceiling used to sit up in one corner and operate it from there and um later on when i was in high school he built me a four by eight the classic four by eight layout so i had a small ha layout to run on at home as well and then um later on after studying and getting married and all that sort of thing um he, he used to have um, operating sessions with his mates and we'd go to various people's houses once a month. And so that's where I got into operating. That was always very enjoyable to run with a bunch of blokes and have operating sessions. And um, coming over to Australia in 2001, I joined a club in Melbourne and also met um, outside club members. And uh, one thing that Jim doesn't know, and I'll get onto this point a little bit later, I was invited... Um, to be the controller of one of those um, operation sessions as well at a, at a private home layout. HO, I think that, that was um, a double-deck layout. He now has a, a triple-deck layout, but I haven't actually operated on that one yet. Um, so uh, about uh, nine years ago, I shifted over to Adelaide and uh, joined another club here, um, now into uh, N-Scale, uh, which I was introduced to in Melbourne and started an N-scale collection after inheriting my HO-scale collection. <laughs> so, uh, unfortunately, I haven't actually had um, a permanent loud. I've had a little switching loud, which I built myself, and just the odd oval of trap to test locos on. Um, but uh, later on here in Adelaide, I was introduced to Jim about four years ago by um, uh, one of my colleagues at work, and um, being invited around to the Monday night sessions where we have modelling nights, and operating nights on uh, some of the louts, Don and um, Jim's lout and a few others. Um, I've been up to Wayne's place a few times as well. Um, so um, later on, as I said, um, Jim didn't know about this. When I was back in Melbourne, I was operate, um, invited to be the operator on a lout, and Jim asked me if I'd like to help him out with an NMRO show um, that uh, we held at Peter Jackson put Jim on too. So uh, there was a lot of um, heavy training going on to work the panel, as you saw tonight. There's uh, quite a bit this afternoon, a bit of activity on that panel. But that's been most enjoyable, and uh, regrettably, I'll, I'm shifting back to Melbourne in a few months' time. So, But it's been uh, a wonderful session working with Jim. And um, one, of, one of my other interests in the, the model railroading is DCC, of course, on the electronic side of things. And Jim and I have worked uh, quite closely together, um, tic-tacking on various Arduino projects, um, the latest of which uh, Jim might say a few words about the speedometer that he's been developing. Um, so that, that's turned out to be quite successful, and uh, there's quite a few kits in the, lying in the background that's get, that various people are going to be building, so that, that's been great fun as well. Yeah. Don made some 
quite colourful narration associated with the speedometer and the operating session today. The trains were moving very, very quickly according to the speedometer. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Don, Don wants a beeper so that if anyone goes over 15 mile an hour in his yard, it goes beep, beep, beep. <laughs> so that has been designed. Mm. Mm. And I'll, I'll perhaps just a bit of an update for the group. Um, apart from the 34 that are on order that I've got the bits for. <laughs> um, we have actually built three, and all three are working. So, um, and Derek has helped me, um, was it 18, 22 pages? Well, that's the instruction guide about how to build it. So, yes, I, I know I said it will be early in the new year, and it's probably going to be a bit later in the new year, but um, when you actually get to all of you, pretty much everyone around the table... It's going to build one, at oh, least, or, or more. No. Why would you pay <laughs> 200 bucks US for an Accurail one when I can give you... We're building them for 10 bucks. Okay? That's the pitch. That's the pitch, <laughs> right? And, and, and they work. <coughs> and we can tune it to how the hell you install it. So if you don't install it at 12 inches or... 14 inches or 19 inches or whatever you want between detectors, we can actually tune the program to what you've actually managed to install to give you an actual result, <coughs> irrespective of scale too, by the way. So, and we have to thank YouTube model builders for that mm-hmm. because it was the stuff that's come up on that. And Chris Healy, I think it is, mm-hmm. is the bloke that's been leading the Adreno stuff on YouTube model builders. And uh, he and I had a couple of interactions early in the piece. Mm-hmm. And there was a really good refinement to the code that Derek found and pointed me to that we've actually used. <laughs> and um, we just modified that to, to what the bits and pieces we're using around the project. So that's going to be something new in the new year. That, Wonderful. That we're all going to benefit from. Oh, by the way, an offshoot for that was Barry needed a timer for, for doing his coffee because he's a coffee barista. <laughs> so, so in in the latest trip to to Rougham and Peter learning how to how to use Andrinos, we built his coffee timer. So that's a spin-off. <laughs> Very good. And, and the other spin-off is Roscoe's had is when we were in the States seeing Tom, his basement flooded out yes. because we had huge rains. So I, I've got the bits for a float switch so that we can put the float switch down with his pump and turn it off and on for him so that won't happen again. So in the last episode of Bottle Radio, I noted that Jim had organised some marsupial wrangling associated with this particular trip. And one of the things I love about Bottle Radio is not only does it benefit me in terms of meeting a lot of wonderful people, but occasionally it benefits my wife, Michelle, as well. So Jim has been able to facilitate some quality time with the koala today to keep my wife happy, as he now understands this dynamic, oh, yes. as I record this evening with the assembled folk. It's been seven years, Jim, it since has. I was last here. It was nice for us to come and see you, mm. and you were a perfect host for us. I must give a shout-out to Richard Murphy, who mm. makes lovely wine. <laughs> yes. Right, so, Richard, you can, you, you can shoot me a box anytime. It's lovely. <laughs> Even Jim Lincoln, who is teetotal. Yep. We'll drink the wine. Well, so. like, like Roscoe and I have got this vivid recollection when we were in San Diego. Yes. Right? And we went to Duncan McCree's. Yes. And we brought a bottle of 
Richard Murphy's wife yes. to, to the barbecue that, that Duncan was hosting yes. that, which was very very nice apart from his layout which was exquisite mm. and, and um, we were expecting to drink it yeah, but we didn't. Uh, we didn't even see it. No. <laughs> the reputation <laughs> preceded the wine. Yes, confiscated. Yes, the reputation preceded the wine. Yes, the beer was nice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, it's been great to have you. Thank you. Yeah, it's time for you to say you, you actually had to hold a throttle for three hours today. Most definitely. And you actually had to do something in operating trains today. Yes. So a little bit about your experience. Well, the crew was revolting through the lack of libations. So the main feedback that I received from multiple operators was that there needs to be libations associated with the... Oh. Uh, so that's the critical feedback that I can provide. Not enough airborne during the operating session. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what I found fascinating with this trip, and I've mentioned associated with Roscoe's lab and the numerous improvements on Roscoe's lab, but also the evolution of your lab. And I remember... The sound of sand being caught inside motors last time I was here. The minimal number of technical issues that occurred today was really phenomenal. And I think you've been able to optimise the layout associated with operations in an inspiring extent over the past seven years. Your crews have changed. The skills have Mm -hmm. changed. Mm -hmm. You've had a number of amazing modellers come through. But I think it's the precision and the resolution associated with critical feedback which has obviously improved the layout and continue to improve the layout and certainly it was wonderful to see you point out on a regular basis that if people have problems they need to make it in writing Mm -hmm. so it can be worked on and I think what I saw today was a very minimal number of things which can be corrected in the future but clearly show the past seven years has been very active and obviously your blog charts some of this as well. Mm. So I think it's very inspirational for folks to review your work and all the learning that you've put in in the past seven years because certainly you had a vision, you had a lot of notes, you had a background in project management, which helped Mm. in these circumstances, but it's actually the iterative feedback that you've received over the past seven years that has really moved your layout towards a level which I think is very inspiring and certainly worthy of note. Yeah, Yeah, I appreciate that. and I guess the the operations bit has come from feedback from Don and feedback from Wayne and experiencing Wayne's layout mm. and sharing how we do things. And um, I'll be really glad when the car cards are finished and implemented. <laughs> so in, I only have two hours between sessions instead of 16 in paperwork. Mm. <laughs> and, um, but But today was the first time no one had on their instructions a diagram. They just had a train number and a start time and a potential finish time mm. and some things about what you're going to do. Um, and that was a huge step forward to actually do that. And that comes back to what Wade and I did about, what, hmm, eight, ten weeks, twelve weeks ago, when we sat down on the whiteboard yeah, right. and, we, and we put up the key things on the whiteboard about what we've got to do. Right? And, and in developing that... Um, uh, been really interesting because there's some really complex stuff that goes on in the background that you never dreamed of mm. to actually make it work because not only is it about train times to run from A to B and I must say Chris is not here tonight but Chris Chris spent I think two full days with me and all we did was run trains and stopwatch 
so that we could work out how long does it take to go through the 52 sections that are on the layout. The, in the previous time, I was only working on 30. But when we actually got down to working out the detail, there was 52 sections of mainline track. Mm. And, and, and to actually look at that, and when, when you think about when John's running the, the ore train, that runs at 25 mile an hour, right? When, I don't know, it was it ran the Sunset Limited, which is the Express Pass, Right, you know, that runs at 55 to 60 mile an hour. And then you've got the freights that run between 40 and 50 mile an hour. Mm. Right, and they all take different times to traverse those 52 sections of track. Mm. And, and getting your head around how the hell do I get this so I can get into some sort of semblance sort of work has <laughs> been a challenge. And one thing you'll all see before you go in a little while tonight is I'll put on the table the um, the train graph or the string diagram as some people call it that we were working to today without the extras because we had an extra operator today so we actually run five extra trains over and above the normal schedule mm. so it, it's 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 an immense amount of work that goes on and I think this has been reflected in your show Tom about how to plan those operations so will they, so they will actually work. Mm. because you can't have too many people in one place. And today we saw a bit of that because we were running too many teams for most things. Mm. Right. But we didn't run it. I don't think we ran into the problem that you couldn't shunt this yard because someone was shunting another yard, which was adjacent. I think we've actually managed to nail that in the last couple of years. Mm. So, yeah, no, I think we're stepping forward. And what I'm really pleased about is the operating group has actually grown, mm. so we've got a better, far better pool mm. to draw from. And and, um, and I only reflect on Des that say, this is <laughs> So many times I've heard says say, this is <laughs> <right>? <laughs> Especially at Wayne's place. But now he's actually turning around and saying, oh, I think I'm starting to come to grips with this. Mm. <laughs> right? And, and that's, that's really pleasing because... Don, Wayne and I have had this bit of strategy about how can we better operate, <laughs> right? We bounce off one another, right? And, and, and we do take seriously your feedback you write on the sheets because sometimes we actually make some fundamental flaws okay, in, in, in how we do things. And I'm going to miss Derek because Derek, Derek has been my editor, bouncer, QA reviewer of all my, of all my programs. And luckily, he said to me, when he, when he goes to Melbourne, he'll still actually have a look at it for me. Because he, when he comes back to Adelaide, he actually wants to be involved in some running. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Tom, back to you. Another part of this, which can't be avoided, is the exceptional barbecue. Oh, right. Which I remember well from seven years ago, and has been repeated this evening. So thank you, as always, for your hospitality, oh, Jim. Always welcome. Mm-hmm. And, I, and all I can say is when Roscoe and I went and saw you, it was returned yeah. well over. So. Yeah. yeah. Well done, Jim. Yeah. Aside from yourself, you don't seem to be addressing the lack of libations, but I guess no, we'll... Uh... never will. Okay, very good. <laughs> Not the gin that we know. <laughs> hey, we were very serious down there today. Right? Pardon? There was a serious operating day today. Tom was here. We couldn't get pissed. Right? No. <laughs> no, but even at my sessions, we don't drink during the sessions. But... No, no, but the, the, I can tell you when the NRA were coming and all the practice sessions we did, 
I can tell you on the Thursday nights, the extra Thursday nights we ran, we had a few glasses while we did it. Ah, so expectations were from those nights. Okay. Now it's been set. Tom, I've got one little thing to add for you. This goes on a bit what Barry was saying about baseboard structure. For years, I'd seen this, uh, read about this product called Homosote. Mm -hmm. And, of course, it wasn't available in this country. In 1979-1980, I was fortunate to spend 10 months in Sarasota in Florida working for the local bank. And I went to the local hobby shop and I asked him if there was any model railway clubs in the area. So he, he pointed me to one in Bradenton. So I went up there and I learned two things. First thing I learned was don't get involved in a model railway club because all they did all night was argue and bicker over whether they're going to build the HO layout first or the engage first. Mm. But they did. the second thing I learned was they gave me a sample of homo soap to bring home. Hmm. Um, and I've since lost it. But uh, <laughs> you want another one? Hey, have you got something? No. <laughs> the thing about homo soap is it only works in certain parts of the US. Right. So that's the dirty little secret associated with that, that humidity and temperature will affect that. Okay. And we've certainly covered it on model our radio periodically. Well, well even Matt Goodman, who Ross and I went to, who's a fanatic in terms of his track laying on... Like, he used an eight-thou feeler for his gaps, okay? Now, for those of us with a bit of technical knowledge or practical workshop experience, eight-thou is not that much. Um, this year, something went wrong, didn't it? A little humidity. A little humidity happened, or, or dehumidity, and he had buckles in his rails. <laughs> so, yes. I'm so just not... Everything to all model railroaders. It's okay. something to model railroaders in very yeah. particular areas. And, and he was using homosote on edge oh, as right. his base, not on flat. Which is no, that's yeah. a common practice. Because so they can, they can do the, the, curves, the, yeah. the curves. The equivalent product we used to have in Australia was that I always thought of and I used was canine. Mm. Mm. You can't yeah, get that. Homosote's a bit, de- a bit denser. Mm. Yeah, I know. Canine. I laminated canine to foam. Okay. Boards, you know, building insulation boards. Found that to work quite well, provided well, you. Well, we laminated on, on, on uh, chipboard. Yeah. Our early stuff was, mm. was all on chipboard, like, mm. I don't know if you remember layout one and layout two yeah. and one. That, that was all 12 mil chipboard yeah. with uh, 10 mil canine on top. That yep. was put on top. But thinking of Barry's issue with his, you know, weight and so forth, canine on 50 mil or 35 mil. Foam, foam board worked very well. One, it was white, and two, it was easily cut and shaped. Mm. So. Yeah. But they yeah. stopped making the, the good cane white, yeah. mm. and then they started bringing a new product in from New Zealand. And crap. I unfortunately bought a sheet no, no, and put it down no. for my last station, and that's horrible. No, yeah, no, so it's six, terrible stuff. Six mil MDF. You can't get it. Yeah, this was on top of the MDF. Yeah. Yeah. No, you've got to put it on top. Yeah, terrible, you can't, terrible. You can't cut it. Wine, Peter? No, I'm right, thanks, Jim. Oh, the, the recording, unfortunately, has to end at some time. Mm-hmm. So let us conclude here. Thanks again to Jim. Yep. Seven years seems too long, but an amazing amount of stuff has happened. Well, hopefully you'll be back before seven years. Hopefully, mm. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks to everyone for participating this evening as well. It's been wonderful. Okay, thank you. 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 Thanks for coming. <laughs>